Section 15 of The Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 11. Edited by Charles Dudley Warner. Section 15 of Natural Selection or The Survival of the Fittest from the Origin of Species by Charles Darwin. Several writers have misapprehended or objected to the term natural selection. Some have even imagined that natural selection induces variability, whereas it implies only the preservation of such variations as arise and are beneficial to the being under its conditions of life. No one objects to agriculturists speaking of the potent effects of man's selection, and in this case the individual differences given by nature, which man for some object selects, must of necessity first occur. Others have objected that the term selection implies conscious choice in the animals which become modified and it has even been urged that as plants have no volition natural selection is not applicable to them in the literal sense of the word no doubt natural selection is a false term but whoever objected to chemists speaking of the elective affinities of the various elements and yet an acid cannot strictly be said to elect the base with which it in preference combines it has been said that I speak of natural selection as an active power or deity, but who objects to an author speaking of the attraction of gravity as ruling the movements of the planets? Everyone knows what is meant and is implied by such metaphorical expressions, and they are almost necessary for brevity. So again, it is difficult to avoid personifying the word nature but I mean by nature only the aggregate action and product of many natural laws, and by laws the sequence of events as ascertained by us. With a little familiarity such superficial objections will be forgotten. We shall best understand the probable course of natural selection by taking the case of a country undergoing some slight physical change, for instance of climate. The proportional numbers of its inhabitants will almost immediately undergo a change, and some species will probably become extinct. We may conclude, from what we have seen of the intimate and complex manner in which the inhabitants of each country are bound together, that any change in the numerical proportions of the inhabitants, independently of the change of climate itself, would seriously affect the others. If the country were open on its borders, new forms would certainly immigrate, and this would likewise seriously disturb the relations of some of the former inhabitants. Let it be remembered how powerful the influence of a single introduced tree or mammal has been shown to be. But in the case of an island, or of a country partly surrounded by barriers, into which new and better adapted forms could not freely enter, 
we should then have places in the economy of nature which would assuredly be better filled up if some of the original inhabitants were in some manner modified for had the area been open to immigration these same places would have been seized on by intruders in such cases slight modifications which in any way favored the individuals of any species by better adapting them to their altered conditions would tend to be preserved and natural selection would have free scope for the work of improvement we have good reason to believe as shown in the first chapter that changes in the conditions of life give a tendency to increased variability and in the foregoing cases the conditions have changed and this would manifestly be favorable to natural selection by affording a better chance of the occurrence of profitable variations unless such occur natural selection can do nothing under the term of variations it must never be forgotten that mere individual differences are included as man can produce a great result with his domestic animals and plants by adding up in any given direction individual differences so could natural selection but far more easily from having incomparably longer time for action nor do i believe that any great physical change as of climate or any unusual degree of isolation to check immigration is necessary in order that new and unoccupied places should be left for natural selection to fill up by improving some of the varying inhabitants for as all the inhabitants of each country are struggling together with nicely balanced forces extremely slight modifications in the structure or habits of one species would often give it an advantage over others and still further modifications of the same kind would often still further increase the advantage as long as the species continued under the same conditions of life and profited by similar means of subsistence and defense no country can be named in which all the native inhabitants are now so perfectly adapted to each other and to the physical conditions under which they live that none of them could be still better adapted or improved for in all countries the natives have been so far conquered by naturalized productions that they have allowed some foreigners to take firm possession of the land and as foreigners have thus in every country beaten some of the natives we may safely conclude that the natives might have been modified with advantage so as to have better resisted the intruders as man can produce and certainly has produced a great result by his methodical and unconscious means of selection what may not natural selection effect man can act only on external and visible characters nature if i may be allowed to personify the natural preservation or survival of the fittest cares nothing for appearances except in so far as they are useful to any being she can act on every internal organ on every shade of constitutional difference on the whole machinery of life man selects only for his own good nature only for that of the being which she tends 
every selected character is fully exercised by her as is implied by the fact of their selection man keeps the natives of many climates in the same country he seldom exercises each selected character in some peculiar and fitting manner he feeds a long and a short-beaked pigeon on the same food he does not exercise a long-backed or long-legged quadruped in any peculiar manner he exposes sheep with long and short wool to the same climate he does not allow the most vigorous males to struggle for the females he does not rigidly destroy all inferior animals but protects during each varying season as far as lies in his power all his productions he often begins his selection by some half-monstrous form or at least by some modification prominent enough to catch the eye or to be plainly useful to him under nature the slightest differences of structure or constitution may well turn the nicely balanced scale in the struggle for life and so be preserved how fleeting are the wishes and efforts of man how short his time and consequently how poor will be his results compared with those accumulated by nature during whole geological periods can we wonder then that nature's productions should be far truer in character than man's productions that they should be infinitely better adapted to the most complex conditions of life and should plainly bear the stamp of far higher workmanship it may metaphorically be said that natural selection is daily and hourly scrutinizing throughout the world the slightest variations rejecting those that are bad preserving and adding up all that are good silently and insensibly working whenever and wherever opportunity offers at the improvement of each organic being in relation to its organic and inorganic conditions of life we see nothing of these slow changes in progress until the hand of time has marked the lapse of ages and then so imperfect is our view into long past geological ages that we see only that the forms of life are now different from what they formerly were in order that any great amount of modification should be effected in a species a variety when once formed must again perhaps after a long interval of time vary or present individual differences of the same favorable nature as before and these must be again preserved and so onward step by step seeing that individual differences of the same kind perpetually recur this can hardly be considered as an unwarrantable assumption but whether it is true we can judge only by seeing how far the hypothesis accords with and explains the general phenomena of nature on the other hand the ordinary belief that the amount of possible variation is a strictly limited quantity is likewise a simple assumption although natural selection can act only through and for the good of each being yet characters and structures which we are apt to consider as of very trifling importance may thus be acted on 
when we see leaf-eating insects green and bark-feeders mottled gray the alpine ptarmigan white in winter the red grouse the color of heather we must believe that these tints are of service to these birds and insects in preserving them from danger grouse if not destroyed at some period of their lives would increase in countless numbers they are known to suffer largely from birds of prey and hawks are guided by eyesight to their prey so much so that on parts of the continent persons are warned not to keep white pigeons as being the most liable to destruction hence natural selection might be effective in giving the proper color to each kind of grouse and in keeping that color when once acquired true and constant nor ought we to think that the occasional destruction of an animal of any particular color would produce little effect we should remember how essential it is in a flock of white sheep to destroy a lamb with the faintest trace of black we have seen how the color of hogs which feed on the paint roof in virginia determines whether they shall live or die in plants the down on the fruit and the color of the flesh are considered by botanists as characters of the most trifling importance yet we hear from an excellent horticulturist downing that in the united states smooth-skinned fruits suffer far more from a beetle a curculio than those with down that purple plums suffer far more from a certain disease than yellow plums whereas another disease attacks yellow-fleshed peaches far more than those with other colored flesh if with all the aids of art these slight differences make a great difference in cultivating the several varieties assuredly in a state of nature where the trees would have to struggle with other trees and with a host of enemies such differences would effectually settle which variety whether a smooth or downy a yellow or a purple fleshed fruit should succeed in looking at many small points of difference between species which as far as our ignorance permits us to judge seem quite unimportant we must not forget that climate food etc have no doubt produced some direct effect it is also necessary to bear in mind that owing to the law of correlation when one part varies and the variations are accumulated through natural selection other modifications often of the most unexpected nature will ensue as we see that those variations which under domestication appear at any particular period of life tend to reappear in the offspring at the same period for instance in the shape size and flavor of the seeds of the many varieties of our culinary and agricultural plants in the caterpillar and cocoon stages of the varieties of the silkworm in the eggs of poultry and in the color of the down of their chickens in the horns of our sheep and cattle when nearly adult so in a state of nature natural selection will be enabled to act on and modify organic beings at any age by the accumulation of variations profitable at that age and by their inheritance at a corresponding age 
if it profit a plant to have its seeds more and more widely disseminated by the wind i can see no greater difficulty in this being effected through natural selection than in the cotton planter increasing and improving by selection the down in the pods on his cotton trees natural selection may modify and adapt the larva of an insect to a score of contingencies wholly different from those which concern the mature insect and these modifications may effect through correlation the structure of the adult so conversely modifications in the adult may affect the structure of the larva but in all cases natural selection will ensure that they shall not be injurious for if they were so the species would become extinct natural selection will modify the structure of the young in relation to the parent and of the parent in relation to the young in social animals it will adapt the structure of each individual for the benefit of the whole community if the community profits by the selected change what natural selection cannot do is to modify the structure of one species without giving it any advantage for the good of another species and those statements to this effect may be found in works of natural history i cannot find one case which will bear investigation a structure used only once in an animal's life if of high importance to it might be modified to any extent by natural selection for instance the great jaws possessed by certain insects used exclusively for opening the cocoon or the hard tip to the beak of unhatched birds used for breaking the eggs it has been asserted that of the best short-beaked tumbler pigeons a greater number perish in the egg than are able to get out of it so that fanciers assist in the act of hatching now if nature had to make the beak of a full-grown pigeon very short for the bird's own advantage the process of modification would be very slow and there would be simultaneously the most rigorous selection of all the young birds within the egg which had the most powerful and hardest beaks for all with weak beaks would inevitably perish or more delicate and more easily broken shells might be selected the thickness of the shell being known to vary like every other structure it may be well here to remark that with all beings there must be much fortuitous destruction which can have little or no influence on the course of natural selection for instance a vast number of eggs or seeds are annually devoured and these could be modified through natural selection only if they varied in some manner which protected them from their enemies yet many of these eggs or seeds would perhaps if not destroyed have yielded individuals better adapted to their conditions of life than any of those which happened to survive so again a vast number of mature animals and plants whether or not they be the best adapted to their conditions must be annually destroyed by accidental causes which would not be in the least degree mitigated by certain changes of structure or constitution which would in other ways be beneficial to the species 
but let the destruction of the adults be ever so heavy if the number which can exist in any district be not wholly kept down by such causes or gain let the destruction of eggs or seeds be so great that only a hundredth or a thousandth part are developed yet of those which do survive the best adapted individuals supposing that there is any variability in a favourable direction will tend to propagate their kind in larger numbers than the less well adapted if the numbers be wholly kept down by the causes just indicated as will often have been the case natural selection will be powerless in certain beneficial directions but this is no valid objection to its efficiency at other times and in other ways for we are far from having any reason to suppose that many species ever undergo modification and improvement at the same time in the same area progressive change compared with independent creation from the origin of species by charles darwin authors of the highest eminence seem to be fully satisfied with the view that each species has been independently created to my mind it accords better with what we know of the laws impressed on matter by the creator that the production and extinction of the past and present inhabitants of the world should have been due to secondary causes like those determining the birth and death of an individual when i view all beings not as special creations but as the lineal descendants of some few beings which lived long before the first bed of the cambrian system was deposited they seem to me to become ennobled judging from the past we may safely infer that not one living species will transmit its unaltered likeness to a distant futurity and of the species now living very few will transmit progeny of any kind to a far distant futurity for the manner in which all organic beings are grouped shows that the greater number of species in each genus and all the species in many genera have left no descendants but have become utterly extinct we can so far take a prophetic glance into futurity as to foretell that it will be the common and widely spread species belonging to the larger and dominant groups within each class which will ultimately prevail and procreate new and dominant species as all the living forms of life are the lineal descendants of those which lived long before the cambrian epoch we may feel certain that the ordinary succession by generation has never once been broken and that no cataclysm has desolated the whole world hence we may look with some confidence to a secure future of great length and as natural selection works solely by and for the good of each being all corporeal and mental endowments will tend to progress towards perfection it is interesting to contemplate a tangled bank clothed with many plants of many kinds with birds singing on the bushes with various insects flitting about and with worms crawling through the damp earth and to reflect that these elaborately constructed forms so different from each other and dependent upon each other in so complex a manner 
have all been produced by laws acting around us. These laws, taken in the largest sense, being growth with reproduction, inheritance, which is almost implied by reproduction, variability from the indirect and direct action of the conditions of life, and from use and disuse, a ratio of increase so high as to lead to a struggle for life, and as a consequence to natural selection, entailing divergence of character, and the extinction of less improved forms. Thus, from the war of nature, from famine and death, the most exalted object which we are capable of conceiving, namely, the production of the higher animals, directly follows. There is grandeur in this view of life, with its several powers, having been originally breathed by the Creator into a few forms or into one and that whilst this planet has gone cycling on according to the fixed law of gravity, from so simple a beginning, endless forms most beautiful and most wonderful have been and are being evolved. Creative Design From The Variation of Animals and Plants Under Domestication By Charles Darwin some authors have declared that natural selection explains nothing, unless the precise cause of each slight individual difference be made clear. If it were explained to a savage utterly ignorant of the art of building how the edifice had been raised stone upon stone, and why wedge-formed fragments were used for the arches, flat stones for the roof, etc., and if the use of each part and of the whole building were pointed out, it would be unreasonable if he declared that nothing had been made clear to him, because the precise cause of the shape of each fragment could not be told. But this is a nearly parallel case with the objection that selection explains nothing, because we know not the cause of each individual difference in the structure of each being. The shape of the fragments of stone at the base of our precipice may be called accidental, but this is not strictly correct, for the shape of each depends on a long sequence of events, all obeying natural laws, on the nature of the rock, on the lines of deposition or cleavage, on the form of the mountain, which depends on its upheaval and subsequent denudation and lastly on the storm or earthquake which throws down the fragments. But in regard to the use to which the fragments may be put, their shape may be strictly said to be accidental. And here we are led to face a great difficulty, in alluding to which I am aware that I am travelling beyond my proper province. An omniscient creator must have foreseen every consequence which results from the laws imposed by him. But can it be reasonably maintained that the creator intentionally ordered, if we use the words in any ordinary sense, that certain fragments of rock should assume certain shapes so that the builder might erect his edifice? If the various laws which have determined the shape of each fragment were not predetermined for the builder's sake, can it be maintained with any greater probability that he specially ordained for the sake of the breeder each of the innumerable variations in our domestic animals and plants, 
many of these variations being of no service to man and not beneficial far more often injurious to the creatures themselves did he ordain that the crop and tail feathers of the pigeon should vary in order that the fancier might make his grotesque powder and fantail breeds did he cause the frame and mental qualities of the dog to vary in order that a breed might be formed of indomitable ferocity with jaws fitted to pin down the bull for man's brutal sport but if we give up the principle in one case if we do not admit that the variations of the primeval dog were intentionally guided in order that the greyhound for instance that perfect image of symmetry and vigour might be formed no shadow of reason can be assigned for the belief that variations alike in nature and the result of the same general laws which have been the groundwork through natural selection of the formation of the most perfectly adapted animals in the world man included were intentionally and specially guided however much we may wish it we can hardly follow professor asa gray in his belief that variation has been led along certain beneficial lines like a stream along definite and useful lines of irrigation if we assume that each particular variation was from the beginning of all time preordained then that plasticity of organization which leads to many injurious deviations of structure as well as the redundant power of reproduction which inevitably leads to a struggle for existence and as a consequence to the natural selection or survival of the fittest must appear to us superfluous laws of nature on the other hand an omnipotent and omniscient creator ordains everything and foresees everything thus we are brought face to face with a difficulty as insoluble as is that of free will and predestination the origin of the human species from the descent of man by charles darwin the main conclusion arrived at in this work namely that man is descended from some lowly organized form will i regret to think be highly distasteful to many persons but there can hardly be a doubt that we are descended from barbarians the astonishment which i felt on first seeing a party of fuegians on a wild and broken shore will never be forgotten by me for the reflection at once rushed into my mind such were our ancestors these men were absolutely naked and bedaubed with paint they possessed hardly any arts and like wild animals lived on what they could catch they had no government and were merciless to every one not of their own small tribe he who has seen a savage in his native land will not feel much shame if forced to acknowledge that the blood of some more humble creature flows in his veins for my own part i would as soon be descended from that heroic little monkey who braved his dreaded enemy in order to save the life of his keeper or from that old baboon who descending from the mountains carried away in triumph his young comrade from a crowd of astonished dogs 
as from a savage who delights to torture his enemies, offers up bloody sacrifices, practices infanticide without remorse, treats his wives like slaves, knows no decency, and is haunted by the grossest superstitions. Man may be excused for feeling some pride at having risen, though not through his own exertions, to the very summit of the organic scale and the fact of his having thus risen, instead of having been aboriginally placed there, may give him hopes for a still higher destiny in the distant future. But we are not here concerned with hopes or fears, only with the truth as far as our reason allows us to discover it. I have given the evidence to the best of my ability, and we must acknowledge, as it seems to me, that man with all his noble qualities, with sympathy which feels for the most debased, with benevolence which extends not only to other men, but to the humblest living creature, with his godlike intellect, which has penetrated into the movements and constitution of the solar system, with all these exalted powers, man still bears in his bodily frame the indelible stamp of his lowly origin. End of section 15